Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, welcome back to Morning Footy. Here's a look at the Premier League results from this past weekend. What a win for Nottingham Forest. 2-1, they beat Sheffield United. West Ham with a big 3-1 win over the Blues. Manchester City 1-0 against Newcastle in one of the biggest games of the weekend. Tottenham with a 2-0 win over Manchester United. But how about Brighton? 4-1 over Wolves. They sit at the top of the Premier League. They're the 53rd team to sit at the top of the table. Did you have them put Forest up top there, Bobby? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> first, that's number one. Got to make sure we do Forest first. If they win, they're on the top. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I love that. Thank you very much. Uh, for more on this weekend's results, let's welcome in uh, Anita Jones to join us. Anita, it's always good to see you. Before we get into the Premier League, you've spent so much time in Australia for the World Cup. What were your thoughts to the final? I know you obviously you were rooting for England as well. A devastating <laughs> way to lose, wasn't it? Yeah, it was poppy. Um, but I guess the better team won. Um, in terms of just feeling proud of this England team, I think that's the feeling across the board. They did so well to get here. They're obviously European champions. They went one step further than previously. It's their first time in a final. Um, you know how it is in finals. Things have just got to go your way. Mm -hmm. And Spain had a clear game plan. I just wonder how much that loss against England in the Euros last year played into Jorge Vilda and his technical team side because they already already kind of psychologically knew how England could potentially play and set up against them. So um, I think it worked in their favour to get the upper hand and ultimately get the goal that sealed the win for them. Oh, man. But you like Barcelona and you like Spain as well, <laughs> right? Anita, so you have some yeah. happiness for those players that you follow? <laughs> Uh, yeah, Aitana Bonmati. Oh my goodness. I think Pep Guardiola said she's like Andres Iniesta. Mm -hmm. um, and Salma, of course, up front. She is a goat. And what, she's only 19? She swapped, um, swapped from doing athletics or track and field, as you guys say. And then she's what won the World Cup with the younger teams and now um, as a senior with the Spanish, World, uh, the Spanish national team. So I think it's just incredible when you see the plethora of talent there. Of course, the person who got the goal is a Real Madrid player, so we can't snub them. Little <laughs> Olga. Um, but just, yeah, it was incredible to see how against adversity, this group of players managed to block out all the noise that was around them and just stick together and really just let their football do the talking on the pitch. You know, we give excuses to teams sometimes about outside noise influencing them. But these women, the, these Spanish women, didn't let any of that put them down. And they just played incredibly throughout the tournament. Oh, they're so inspiring, Anita. That's a great point. With with all that adversity, they still were the dominant team and they were still able to get the win. And you saw how much it meant for them uh, after the match when they were crying and just such beautiful scenes. But you're an expert on all things, so I'm going to switch you over to Premier League here. Um, Tottenham beating Manchester United. Vicario had a massive game with many saves for that team. 
He really did. So, of course, he's one of their summer signings. They've had quite a few of them. And um, I think what the Tottenham fan base really loved about him is in his kind of introductory video, he seemed to have this real sense of wanting to play for the badge. He was really excited. And with recent managerial pointings before Ange Postacoglu, it was almost like the managers were doing the club a favour. Um, and that whole feeling around the club has changed. You feel like the players on the pitch that are playing under Ange Postacoglu want to be there. And what's even more interesting is you start to question, I guess, some of the decisions under uh, Antonio Conte because they have this new-look midfield where you've got James Madison, who is just absolutely bossing it. He's the creative player we all knew he could be. Um, Eve Basuma, who couldn't get in the side last season. And then Pap Sar getting that opening goal for them. Um, it, it's really quite exciting, this Ange ball, as they're calling it. Anita, let's go to a different game. Manchester City take down Newcastle one to nothing. I'm going to put you on the spot because we had you on morning footy before the weekend and you said we are going to learn about who these teams are over this game. What did you learn about Manchester City or Newcastle during these 90 minutes? From the Manchester City point of view, their bench didn't look as strong as what we've seen in recent years. Um, it was really interesting. Normally, you'd look to their bench and you'd assume that there was a whole other starting eleven. There are a few players from uh, the younger teams there and ones that we're not so familiar with. Equally, um, they are so strong. Coming back from Greece, having won the Super Cup against um, Sevilla, to still go out there and put on that performance was just really incredible. Sorry, one of my efforts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, uh, no, it wasn't anything dramatic. But in terms of Newcastle, Eddie Howe came out and he said that he just felt they weren't at their best. Mm. They obviously had that emphatic win in um, the first round of the Premier League of this new season. And so we thought maybe they could catch Man City kind of on an off day, not having much time to prep. Newcastle had a whole week, but that didn't really come to, to fruition. And um, if you're an Arsenal fan, you might be a bit worried because it looks like Manchester City might just do what they normally do. <laughs> not just Arsenal fans, of course, you know, the other teams who might be in and around the top <laughs> as well. <laughs> You know whose fans aren't worried, though? Brighton fans, because they have been so good for the first two weeks of the Premier League. Yes, they played Luton Town on week one, but how much can we read into their results so far? And is Deserby and Brighton the real deal this year? How far do you think they can go? Deserby is just incredible. I really remember um, a moment last season when Pep Guardiola, who's obviously held as one of the greatest managers in footballing history, took his hat off to him and said that he felt that he was changing things. So when you get that respect from a man that has won everything on multiple occasions, you know that there's something special there. In terms of him coming in um, last season to replace Graham Potter, he was a bit of an unknown quantity. People didn't know what he could bring. He slotted in and against adversity again. He lost the likes of Moises Casado at the start of this season. He also lost Alex, uh, Alexis McAllister to, to Liverpool. And he's managed to just really get his team flowing in a way that um, we've seen towards the end of last season, which honourably earned them a spot in Europe this year. So it'll be exciting to see how they fare across four competitions. I don't know if they've got enough squad depth to do that, but they definitely have enough talent to just wow us. I'm sure we'll talk about Kaoru Matoma, but um, what a talent there. Mm. And the fact that they are sitting at the top of the table, they've had two back-to-back -back emphatic wins. It's really exciting if you're a Seagulls fan at the moment. 
Anita, looking at Chelsea, they fall 3-1 to West Ham over the weekend. Are you pressing the panic button? What are you thinking of this Chelsea side? No, not at all. It's early days. Mauricio Pochettino and his staff have got a huge job. Of course, they came into what people were calling like a swollen squad. They had so many players. They needed to decide which ones they were going to keep and they felt they could build with and which ones they were going to let go. And of course, some have been let go to, to fellow Premier League rivals like Kai Havertz or Mason Mount. But this is still a, a young squad. I think there's a lot of potential there, but they're going to need time. Um, no great team is built um, overnight. And... Um, of course, they have trouble up top, you know, like Nkonku getting injured um, and also Broya out. Uh, Mauricio Pochettino spoke about that after the loss yesterday and said that um, they may dip into the transfer. Well, he suggested that they may dip into the transfer market to try and get a striker there. But I think Chelsea fans will be encouraged by the performance against Liverpool and also the first half yesterday because um, Enzo Fernandez had the chance to take his side to 2-1 but um, he couldn't convert the penalty. And I think that really just tipped things in West Ham's favour. But they definitely had a strong start and there's so much talent, individual talent there. It's just about weaving it all together and getting them playing like a team, like a Maurizio Pochettino team, really. Yeah. It's just crazy to think how many players know, Chelsea have had over the last two years. I would yeah. love to know how many players they've had on their books. Yeah. It's just Too crazy. Many. We'd be here for the whole, the whole show. Anita, you, of course, already mentioned Arsenal being a potential title contender earlier in this show. You had to drop that in early. But we're going to preview this game today, Arsenal versus Crystal Palace. What are you looking for in this performance for Arsenal to really show that they should put people on watch, that they're another t title contender this year? Again, so they're a team that have brought in some new players and from their first performance, I think it's fair to say that they haven't quite gelled. Um, of course, in that Community Shield performance, I think that's a clip from there um, when Kirantini was in the side and they beat Manchester City on penalties. Um, it was a really exciting game, but in the first game of the season, they didn't quite gel. And um, Mikel Arteta has used Kai Havertz in two different positions. It'll be interesting to see how he decides to use him going forward. Of course, the big news for them is that Urian uh, Timber, one of their summer signings, a defender, um, looks to be out for the majority of the season. He suffered an ACL injury, unfortunately. So um, in terms of how Mikel Arteta sets up that defence, that will be interesting to see because last season, one of the, I guess, weaknesses for them were the injuries that they had in defence. And I think that ultimately led to their downfall and not being able to get over the line. Um, in terms of this game against Crystal Palace, it'll be, I guess, another test for them to see if they can take it one step further. Will he have faith in Eddie and Ketira up front again? He proved that he, he should be given that faith, scoring um, in the opening game. And then from a Crystal Palace point of view, well, they're very happy because... Another player didn't go to the Chelsea. I say another player, but another Premier League player because <laughs> it looked like Michael Olise, one of their exciting forwards, was going to be heading to the club where he spent a lot of his younger years at. But that's not the case. He put pen to paper and he's going to be staying with them. Unfortunately, injured at the moment. But um, you'd expect Arsenal to win this one. They played them on the opening day of last season. Very convincing win. 
Anita, thank you so much. We just lost your audio there uh, just for a second at the very end. Uh, we're looking forward to that match, though, from Selhurst Park later on. Crystal Palace are yet to lose a Premier League match at home under Roy Hodgson. So let's see if one of the Premier League favourites can spoil that this season. Good to see you. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much. And Marco Messina is going to join us after the break to look ahead and to look back at what we've seen so far. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Marko Arnautovic puts it into the perfect area and Inter set to win this first game. Pereira swings it in, good delivery, headed toward goal! And who else but Andrea Pelotti? It's given away here to Vlahovic and now it's Chiesa. Chiesa's efforts on the ground where he scored on the final day of the previous campaign. Rachmani, Di Lorenzo and Osimhen. Can he back his second? He can. Maximum points for the champions, surely, on the opening weekend. Oh, Italian football is back and what a start it's been already. A big win for the reigning champions, Napoli 3-1 over the Serie B champions, Frosinone, who were promoted. Roma and San Natana finished 2-2, a massive win. 3-0 for Juventus against Udinese and Inter beating Monza by two goals to nil. All the stars out as well this weekend. Lataro with a brace, Osiman with a brace, Chiesa and Vlahovic on the score sheet. We're off to a good start in Serie A. For more on this, Marco Messina joins us now. Marco, good to see you again. How happy are you, first of all, to have Serie A back and to be back with all of your favourite people here at CBS? Yeah, most of my favorite people that I'm usually at the desk with, uh, we could say. No, but it's amazing. Calcio's actually back, and the drama has already begun in Italy. We got CDK, who's actually scoring this season, Belotti, who's got two goals, and Lecce turning around a result against Lazio in like two minutes. So uh, the drama is back, and Calcio's back. I know he was in a good mood because he brought us all presents. Yeah, I <laughs> saw that. Can you believe that? That was so well? nice of him. I know. He said the standard presents. Really? I was, didn't he bring you guys food before, too? Like, he's a generous man. Oh, yeah, you did bring cannolis actually Thank that you, time, didn't you? <laughs> okay, moving on. Let's talk about Napoli uh, because obviously Ossiman, they've done so well to hang on to him over this summer transfer window. There was no Cavara, but it was still not an ideal start for Napoli, but they made it look pretty easy in the end. Yeah, they did. And, you know, they started kind of similar to what they did last year, where Verona even scored on them on opening day, but then Napoli found their rhythm. And this man, uh, Ossiman, is just sensational. He stayed at Napoli this year. His second goal here, just to top this off, he was Capo Cananiere last year. And the thing that's so special about him is that he scores the important goals. Last year, he scored 30 in all competitions, and 16 of them were either the 1-0 or the 1-1. So, he it always turns up in the big moments, and he's already starting the league off on the right foot. Another big win was Inter with a 2 nothing win over Monza. Lataro off to another good start. How much do Inter need him to be the, the bearer of these types of goals throughout this season? Ah, he's everything. I mean, you could see it right there in his left arm. He became the captain of this team. And with all the changes that they've had, you know, losing a little bit of leadership, 
uh, with Onana in net and his partner uh, Lukaku and Dzeko. He's been the man to step up, and you can see it already. Two goals. He scored 22 last season, and he's picking up exactly where he left off. And I was just reading Gazeta this morning, and I saw that in 2023, he's actually the striker in all of Europe with the best goals-to-minute ratio, a goal every 89 minutes. That's better than Ooh. Holland, Mbappe, Ossiman, wow. anyone else that you name, even Harry Kane. Poppy, you're a little Englishman. So he's that important for the team, and he's one of the best strikers in Europe. Wow. I second that. I'm a huge Lautaro Martinez fan, I have to say it. Um, do you see me now? Do you see me doing my thing? <laughs> Can you see me? Oh, celebration. There we go. <laughs> um, but I thought Di Marco was fabulous. I mean, he was on my uh, best 11 for Champions League. He continuing his run there. Absolutely. He's amazing. And they actually have one of the best left sides in Europe because Di Marco, like you just said, last year he was unbelievable. This year he's already started off on the right foot. And they also have Carlos Augusto, who they signed from Monza, who they played. And he has been amazing on the left side. He had the most goals for Monza as a wingback last season. So they have options on the left side. We know they're trying to go further in Champions League. And they also want to go as far as they can in Serie A because last year, 12 losses all season, it's not enough. And I think the amount of depth that they have within their squad, not necessarily in the defensive position, but in their midfield is just phenomenal. Juventus off to a hot start and Tim Weah making his debut. Marco, for you and Tim Weah, what impressed you about Weah's performance? So Weah has been kind of like sensational around Juventus. All the talk is about him. He's one of the few players that Juventus signed, but he's brought in and he's become an instant starter. And part of that is just because he's so tactically intelligent in the formation that Allegri wants to play. He loves to get forward. Of course, if you know anything about Max Allegri, he wants his, his wing backs to defend a lot more, which I think is more than what Wei is used to. But the thing that I love about him and the criticism last year about Juventus is they don't go forward enough. So Weah has found this sort of balance in the first game and also throughout his entire preseason in doing well coming back, but also adding a little bit of a spark going forward. And we already saw that in the first match. Juventus's debut yesterday is one of the best debuts I can remember from Juventus of all time. They were going forward. They were attacking. And a lot of that came from the wingback position in Tim Weah. Uh, you saw Tim Weah as well in California, didn't you? Spent some time with him, obviously, when he was off the pitch. Does it look like he's settling in quite nicely to his new club? Yeah, the, the way that I described him, I think I said it on our previous show, Poppy, is that he, he's sort of like a sponge. You know, we interviewed Tim Weah and Danilo, who Danilo's the captain, he's, he's, you know, experienced. And he was just like, let me absorb all the information that I can get from this captain, from this senior player. And that's so important as a youngster coming into the team, and especially in Italy, which is so tactical. You know, we're, we're so focused on the details. He's come in, and, and honestly, it's actually crazy how important he's been for this squad in such a short amount of time. It was so weird to see Juventus play so attacking yesterday and to score <laughs> so, so many goals. Well, from uh, one American to another, Christian Pulisic today. Do you think he'll start? What are the reports saying? Do you think we'll see him in the 11? And what are you expecting from this Milan side this season? Well, a uh, couple canonieri, according to Poppy Miller. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm expecting him to get off uh, uh, to a flying start. And what's funny is that, you know, we had uh, Matteo Bonetti, who all previews show long, kept saying, I don't even know if Pulisic's going to start. Well, guess what? He's expected to start on the right wing, and, and Chukwese is actually going to be on the bench. And I'm very excited for this one. Milan so many times last year, they did well last year, right? They got into the top four. They went far in the Champions League. But what they always lacked was someone other than Rafael Leao who was able to dribble their man or to provide real quality up top, to be a spark. And I think that's exactly what Pulisic is going to bring. 
purely switching to a 4-3-3 formation this season, at least for, for the majority of the time. And Pulisic starting at that right wing spot, I'm very excited to see what he could do. Obviously, all the hype in America. I've met so many Americans who didn't watch the league before who told me, how do I sign up for Paramount Plus? I need to be able to watch Pulisic play for Milan. So that's the impact he's had both on and off the pitch. Me too. I want a hat trick today from him. Ooh. Oh, wow. We're going big, Pops. Big. I like it. Uh, uh, Marco. This, Marco, this Milan squad has a really deep midfield. But everybody, you just mentioned, we're not going to see Eunice Musa today because of a sp suspension. But... Will he find time within this midfield of a very crowded Milan squad? So with the midfield three, uh, Reinders is one of the new men uh, brought in. Uh, Loftus-Cheek as well, who likes to get forward. Those two I see as dead-on starters. I, I can't see them moving. Krunic is the man expected to start today. Who? It, that's kind of like Pioli's favorite player. You know, nothing, can, nothing Krunic can do is wrong in Pioli's eyes. So it will be hard in that aspect. But I think that the thing that Musa brings is he's a lot more technical than some of the other players. Loftus-Cheek is great bombing forward. Reinders is like a, an engine, a little hustler. But they're missing that little uh, piece in their team, which is technical and can give that pass. And I think Musa does find his spot. It'll take time. As you said, he's suspended. He's serving the suspension that he had in La Liga from last year. It's only one match. And I think he will find his way into this team. He does have a little bit of a problem, like I said, because Krunic is in front of him and he's one of uh, Pioli's favorite players. But I think within time, he will get into this 11. Marco, you mentioned it when we said hello to you, but one of the big stories out of the weekend is Decatelare making a rebound. Many people were saying that he was an absolute flop last season for AC Milan. And now we see him having a great start for Atalanta. He was a flop, you know, if we're honest. But he was such a young player, and he came into this league, and it's so hard to judge on one season. He got thrown into the fire right away, and he looked like I, – I, I never thought it was just like he lacked talent, but, you know, you, you play at San Siro. You play for Milan, who were the reigning Scudetto champions. There's a lot of pressure. He didn't have that confidence. He made a very smart move to Atalanta, which in all of Italy, it's probably the best place – for youngsters to go to. Gasparini just knows how to foster young talent. They give you an opportunity. They put you in a system to succeed. They play some of the most attacking football in the entire country. It was a perfect move. And you're already seeing it yesterday. You know, okay, he scores a goal, but it's also his performance. He looked a little bit more calm. Even throughout some of his preseason matches, we saw highlights where he was doing stuff that we never even saw him attempt in Milan. So it's early days. It's only one match. We don't want to go too crazy, but he's definitely got the quality to do well in Italy. Yeah, he was not great last year, was he? But it's good to see him look rejuvenated already. Thanks so much, Marco. Good to see you. See you this weekend for a doubleheader of Serie Enjoy the games today. That was good. See you guys. Ciao for now. Here's a look at the uh, notable European results from this past weekend. A couple of surprising ones as well. Kilmarnock with a 1-0 win against Celtic in the Scottish League Cup round of 16. Leeds United and West Brom drew a point apiece. And PSG could only manage one point for the second consecutive week in League 1. OK, stay with us. Next to come here on Morning Footy, we're going to be talking all about the US women's national team and what is next for this group after Vlatko Andonovsky's departure. We'll be right back. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. 
How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Hey, welcome back to Morning Footy. Well, as we know, it's a disappointing showing for the U.S. women's national team at this World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. They were out in the round of 16, the earliest exit in their history after coming into the competition as the favourites. Following uh, this, the GM of the U.S. women's national team, Kate Margraff, won't return after her contract expired. And we know Vlatko Andonovsky has Resign. So a lot of questions now for this team, Lisa. Where do they go from here? And I guess is the first port of call the manager position? Does that need to be filled for them to really be able to build and move on from this? I think that will be the first decision that U.S. soccer makes. And Matt Crocker, as, as the head of it all, is filling that manager role. If the GM role returns, that might come second. There's a lot of question marks around that and what happens. But, yes, they need a manager. They have an interim stepping up who is the first assistant, Twyla. She'll slot into that role, and she'll lead this U.S. team during their two friendlies in September against South Africa. But the Paris Olympics are less than a year away, and this is the United States side that needs to get back on the winning side of things. They need to pick that up. Uh, now. That yeah. needs to get going now. And they can count out South Africa, who just had a great spell at yes. the Women's World Cup. And, and they can't make any changes as well to the roster, mm -hmm. so it'll be this exact group that we've seen at the World Cup play with South Africa, which feels like it'll be the very final farewell for a lot of players that we know are retiring. But is it a good thing, Jenny, that the Paris Olympics is coming up so quickly, almost a chance for redemption for this group? Oof. That's an interesting... Whether they are able to redeem themselves or not is, is an interesting point. I mean, they haven't won the Olympics since 2012 um, for the United States, and that's not really a competition that they've like really thrived in, in my opinion. I think Lisa said that the manager would come first, and, and it's a question of whether or not they hire a general manager or not. Um, I think you do hire a general manager on that side. I think that has to come before, because the general manager should in theory, make the decision on who yeah, the coach is. Yeah, probably what should happen, but I think they're going to hire a coach first. I think they're going to start having those conversations and bringing in interviews. It's a lanky process. We just saw it on the yeah. men's side. But how does that work without the GM making that decision? Like, what... You just don't have time, I don't yeah. think. The structure, I think, that, you know, in the deeper conversations about the U.S. women's national team that we should have is having the same foundational approach throughout the youth system into um, the... The full team, which is something that Jordan mentioned about these other countries. You see the U-17s and the U-20s um, and the full team for Spain having the same so people can slot in when needed. I think that's incredibly important. We saw the U.S. fail um, on a tactical sense um, in the World Cup, and it should have been a wake-up call that from a foundational level, from a federation level, we should have the same idea or structure from the youth level up so that people can be interchangeable in that way. Mm -hmm. well, that's a difficult thing because w that it does need to happen. It takes time. And it takes time. And, and so this Paris Olympics is going to be probably too quick for any of that to really uh, come into play. But what I'm looking forward to with whoever comes in, I think that's the, the big question now. Who's going to come in and what's it going to look like? And how quickly are they going to come in? Realistically, what is the time frame that we're looking at for the U.S. to hire a coach? If they don't have a coach in by, by the, the end, end of the year, year, then they're going to be in trouble, I think. Okay. You have to look at the timeline and how like quickly a long, it is. a long way away, though, doesn't it, for them to, to go the rest of this calendar year without having somebody in charge with Paris coming up in the summer? I don't think they'll get to that point, but they, they need somebody by the end of the year. Well, here's the thing is that both of these contracts, Kate Markrath and Vlad Gondonovsky's contracts, were running out anyway. So you should have been thinking ahead in the event of. That is the ideal perspective is you should have been thinking, hey, if this contract ends... 
what are we doing next? Because even had the U.S. gone on to win or to play well, it still was a question, would Vlatko even return Correct. regardless? Mm -hmm. So are you surprised that they are in this position that they're in now? Because it also feels that there's not a clear front runner to take over the job. Well, there's front runners, there? but they already, they already have jobs, and I think that that's so the who, difficult... who is it? Laura Harvey and Emma Hayes, they're the front runners, you would say? Serena Vigman. I, I think Serena said she's not coming, <laughs> girl. <laughs> yeah. she's not coming. Uh, but I think no. that was a, a top choice for the United States in U.S. soccer. But and was it a realistic choice? Probably not, right? I think that we're in a bit of a bubble where we think, you know, U.S. soccer is so dominant, and it is the most coveted job um, in the world. And yes, while we are the United States women's national team and we have this history and, and we are so proud of all of it, I think around the world people can set their own history, they can make their own thing happen with a little bit less politics potentially. Um, and that sounds more interesting and, and more attractive. You know, if you're Tony Gustafsson, who knows? I don't have any insight on whether he wants the job or not. He's starting something in Australia that is amazing. You know, he has kicked off this whole thing in the co-host country um, that has sparked the interest and the love um, of football in, in women's sports specifically. I, I used to play in Australia um, and I lived there for a little bit and I spoke to my host family about having the World Cup there. And my little 14-year-old host sister was saying that this is the most incredible thing to happen to the country, not just in a footballing sense, not just in a women's football sense, in a women's sport sense. Mm -hmm. For the country to take a look at what women's sport can do to transform things has just been Unreal. So for him, Tony Gustafsson, does he really want to leave that job where he's made such a great impact? So who, so who is looking at this job then? Realistically, it feels like, you know, Vlatko, it was easy to say Vlatko's the problem. He is why we're yeah. out of this competition. Well, you always point to the manager. But now yeah. he's yeah. out. So where's the leadership? Where's the direction with this group? Because if from an outside looking in, it feels like they're not really sure who is the front runner and who can come in and which direction this team is going yeah. in. Well, luckily, Bobby, I don't have to choose the coach. So <laughs> I want to go with how I want this team to play as opposed to who I want to lead this team. Because I think if you establish how you want this, uh, this being the U.S. women's soccer from youth to, to the top level, how you want to play, then you can start to look for coaches who fit in that mold. This is a team that should have the ball. They have Lindsey Horan, Rose Lavelle, um, Crystal Dunn, Emily Fox, Andy Sullivan is really good with the ball too, Alyssa Thompson. These are players who want the ball. They want to play with the ball. And I think we need a coach who wants a little bit more of that. It didn't seem like that's what the, we wanted in, under the last coach. We weren't dominant in that sense. So can we play to the strengths of these to mind players? When you're thinking about how you would like this team to play though. I think about, um, I mean, it's it's a big ask, but I think there's a mixture of like some of what we saw from Japan and some of what we saw from Spain. These are two teams who are tactically adaptable. That, they the have multiple formations. I think this U.S. team could play in a three-back. I think they could play a 3-4-3, three, three, be very aggressive. You have Fox and Dunn as outside wingbacks. This could be a really interesting look for the talent that they have. If they have the ball, they could also go in transition. I just want them to be, you know, adaptable is the biggest word I see from this team because there are such good football minds on this squad and that was diminished. And, and we need to let them shine. And I feel like that's the type of coach I want to come, I want to come in here and say, I'm just helping you guys be mm -hmm. successful. Mm -hmm. I think that approach is kind of like short-sighted, but correct. You know, the fact that the ad adaptability in-game has to be there in, in the tactics in that sense. But I think the adaptability in U.S. soccer 
as a country, as a whole, is also like an expansion of that, of being able to say, hey, the way that we've been doing things recently has not worked. And not, not that we're not winning, not that we're not, you know, um, still a world contender. Right, but, yeah. you know, even before, I think that there were, there were signals and signs that changes need to be made to continue to be so incredibly dominant, but they weren't because of those, like, squeaky, you know, we won. Mm -hmm. um, being able to adapt in a larger sense, in a bigger viewpoint of, okay, we actually do need an overhaul of a decision and a way that we're going to approach football as a nation. Um, for the fact that, you know, a number six, we didn't have Juilliards and the whole world went into a panic, shouldn't be the case. There should be a U20, a U23, whatever it is, stepping up that could fulfill that role if needed. We should have more people that could fulfill these roles when these injuries come into play. We talked about Spain, the amount of depth that they have. When all of those players were not available, they had players so, to slot in. So but the US US did not. Also played for, players. for this Paris Olympics then, because obviously the US, it, it feels like time and time again, regardless of really, obviously they had a good run into this World Cup, no doubt, with the games that they played. And Mallory Swanson, she was absolutely electric, wasn't she? But it feels like they always come into every competition as the favorites. Do you think that will be the case with the no. Paris Olympics? No, the United States are no longer favorites. They didn't win in Tokyo in the Olympics. How far have they slipped down then, do you think? Uh, they've dropped pretty significantly. You look at the top three winners of this World Cup. Japan it's goes Spain. in there too. It's Spain in the first. England is second. Sweden got third. Australia won fourth um, in this World Cup. Australia has dropped. I agree. Japan is in there. For Paris Olympics for the United States, their, their goal needs to be getting younger players time and experience and regaining their dominance in, in what they can, whether that means establishing better tactics and a formational understanding or letting players get time. Mm -hmm. Look at this World Cup. So many young players didn't yeah. see a single minute on the field. I would say that um, people may be very upset about this approach that just came into my head. It's not like I've thought about this for many, many hours. <laughs> but what she's saying, what Lisa's saying about, you know, they're not favorites. I think that you use this to rebuild, this time to rebuild. And that's a realistic thing. Sometimes you are the rebuild year. That's a thing that happens in programs, in, in college programs. You know, we're, we're going to rebuild. You're not the winner. You're not, we're not going to win the Olympics, which, yes, you go to win because you're American and all of those things. But understanding that you're building for something greater, something bigger, in a completely, you know, overhaul type of situation within U.S. soccer. I don't think I they think have to wait a be... whole year, though. They have the talent. They have the yeah, skill of these players. Do. The U.S. doesn't need a, a whole year to rebuild. They need a, a few weeks. They have all the talent there. It's I just mean, as a putting whole the players program, in right. not just the full team. I mean, like, from the youth down. I think Jordan brought up a huge point about the U-17s, the U-20s, and, and the foundational aspects of the U.S. Women's National Team, they haven't been winning those World Cups, the U-17, the U-20 World Cups. And mm -hmm. if you want dominance at the full team level, you need to be doing it at the youth level. Yeah. It feels like dominance has always been expected, even with the turnover in the team and the, the younger players to come through while they're winning. It hasn't really been the case because obviously we've seen everybody else catching up to the United States as well. The biggest question is who will be the U.S. Women's National Team manager? Hopefully we have an answer soon. Hey, uh, we're going to talk more about women's football uh, after the break here on Morning Footy after a big weekend in the NWSL where plenty of World Cup players return to their club teams. We'll be right back. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town. 
And they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Hi, welcome back to Morning Footy. Here's a look at the NWSL results from this past weekend. KC Current with a 1-0 win against the OL Reign Orlando. 5-0 against the Chicago Red Stars. Louisville Angel City drew 1-1. San Diego with their first win in 10 games. 2-1 they beat Gotham. Gotham with plenty of problems with injuries as well from that game. But Portland... Uh, top of the table, a 2-1 win over the North Carolina Courage. Here's the highlights from this match because it was a pretty much a six-pointer game, wasn't it? If North Carolina had won, they'd have gone to the top of the table. And perhaps even more impressive, Jordan, that Portland won with 10 men for the majority of the match. And it was because of this uh, foul from Kelly Hubley in the 17th minute. It's from the set piece, Tyler Lucy dinks it off the top of the bar in behind Bixby. Really good start for North Carolina, who has been the best team over the last month in NWSL. But you can't count out this Portland Thorns team. Hannah Betford has been one of those players over the last few games who has carried the weight of goal scoring. But now some of that weight gets lifted. Sophia Smith is back. And what does she do? Of course, she scores. Look at the run from her. Back post makes it look easy. For some reason, no one's tracking the best goal scorer in the world right now. <laughs> Sophia Smith has just an easy jog in the park back post. I'll just tap this in, but great, great pass to find her there. She, Sophia Smith only needs a few seconds on the pitch before she's finding <laughs> the back of the net. I agree. Morgan Weaver with the pass. Brilliant. That's a player that stepped up over the last couple of weeks during Challenge Cup play with Portland Thorns. A year. Yeah, she's, she's done, great she's done a really good job, and her partnership with Sophia Smith is only going to continue to flourish as the final weeks of the regular season continue, but NWSL is back. This was one of the best games. It was a late night. I know you stayed up for that one, Jenny. I don't know how you did <laughs> yeah, that. How did you I, this you know what? I have a weird schedule now. Like, I, I don't know what my schedule is, but I was up because I had came back into town, and so I stayed up for the match, and it was totally worth it because North Carolina has found a way to play uh, without their main players, with without Caroline, and they've found a way to, like, work as a team without her. That kind of is beautiful because before I think it was, like, get the ball to her and see what she figures out. This... Sean Nahas has transformed this squad. They are a football-playing squad. When you look at teams and how I would like the U.S. to play, there, there's yes. hints of that. Mm -hmm. They want the ball. They want to have possession. That's why they scored 11 goals in two games in the Challenge Cup. So, yes, yeah. they, so Carol, they rely on Caroline, but it's the, not all the best, about And her. the best part about North Carolina is it's a it's a known system throughout all of the players. So no matter mm -hmm. who leaves, who comes in, is other that players what we were get just called about. about. That's what the U.S. doing. <laughs> Something like that. But, so for North Carolina to be doing so well and then for Portland to come in to see Sophia Smith I was blowing up the, the group chat last night and everyone was asleep but I was I saying like Sophia <laughs> So that's how, that's how everyone knew that I was awake. So Sophia Smith comes on and immediately makes her impact. And you ask, why is nobody tracking her? I think it kind of caught them off guard that, you know, she just came in and already was on the back of the net. I mean, it's just incredible to we, see We saw her. two of those goals this weekend, actually. Amir Ali yeah. for San Diego came in the match, scored in her first three touches. Wow. Put the ball in the back of the net. Well, speaking of players having a big impact after returning from the World Cup, Orlando Pride, how yes. about their big win as well? Marta as well playing an impact in that game, Lisa? I was so entertained throughout this Orlando match. They get five in over Chicago, and it comes from a variety of players. Messiah Bright, the rookie, she gets her first brace of the year. Mariana La Roquette coming in after the World Cup. She's an Argentine international. She subs on. She gets a goal. Michaela Clough gets one. And Rafael. 
the Brazilian. She checks into this yeah. game. The first goal for this Orlando side in the first 15 minutes. This is a new Orlando side. They're rejuvenated. They're happy. They're smiling. Marta talked about it at halftime in her interview that she was happy to be home. It was a sad exit for her at the World Cup with Brazil, and she just wanted to get back to Orlando, to her family, to her friends that was there and with the club, and to play, and that's what she's been holding inside of her. I'll just say, with Rafaeli coming in, playing next to Emily Madrill, this could potentially be the best center back pairing in all of NWSL. Watch out for this Orlando Pride team because once you stabilize your defense, we've seen it time and time again in this league, you are able to be a little bit more successful. They, they want to go forward. Seb Hines wants his team to be an attacking-minded team. This is a really huge move. She scores in her yes. debut. Yes, but the fact is, yes, what you're saying there about the back line and stabilizing that is incredibly important, Jordan. But the fact is, while she can stabilize that, she also scores so many goals. We've seen her do it with yeah. Arsenal. She's going to get on the back of any corner kick, any free kick, and yeah. she's going to score some goals. I like scoring goals. Oh, yeah. so credit to Seb Hines as well, because this Orlando mm -hmm. team have really it's been, been through it this season. They've had some really low patches. For five years. As well. Yeah. <laughs> they've been uh, through it. Uh, they've had some really, really lows, but it feels like when they're on, they're the highest scoring team in the league. They've scored some absolutely crazy matches, haven't they, in the last yeah, couple of weeks? And Adriana has been brilliant for them. And now you get Mas Messiah Bright, who scored um, one of the best goals I've seen in a long time in NWSL. Mm -hmm. um, it had a little Linda Caicedo to it from the World Cup. It, this is a team who's going to be difficult going forward because they can score now from multiple different players. It was a great weekend in NWSL. Yeah. Every game had a goal, at least yeah. one. It, it's um, back. The players were itching to get back. Yeah. And, and Orlando's just on the outside of the playoff bubble. And you're exactly right with the center back duo and Emily Maduro and Rafaela. They could they can make a run. We're going to look ahead to what's to come today after this short break here on Morning Footy. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hey, welcome back to Morning Footy. Here's a look at Monday's Footy Fix. Crystal Palace against Arsenal at 3 o'clock Eastern on Peacock. Then just a reminder, the two Serie A matches to complete match day one. Torino against Cagliari at 12 Eastern on Paramount+. Plus and the Golasso Network. And then Bologna taking on Milan at 2.45. So Arsenal against Crystal Palace. Obviously, Manchester City won at the weekend, Jordan. A lot of pressure building already on the Gunners. I think so, but this is a team who kind of folded at the end of the season under pressure. So have they gotten better? This is a time to show it right at the beginning of the season. Can they have a, a similar performance from their front three as they did in that first weekend? I think that's the key to it. it their attacking presence that Arsenal has, they've only continued to bolster that in the offseason. Declan Rice, Kai Havertz coming into this squad. They can run through Crystal Palace today. We'll see. Yeah. They've done well in London derbies. How about Milan, Jenny? Very quickly, Christian Pulisic expecting to see his debut today. Yeah, no, I'm really excited. I think that's a that's a win for AC Milan. They're, on, they're against Bologna, and history shows that they're they're going to win this game, um, and especially with the new players. I mean, the front line of Pulisic, Giroud, and Lau. Ooh, yeah. oh, beautiful. Just Pulisic in a new country. I'm excited yeah. for him to have a fresh start. What did, what did you say? Three for Pulisic? Yeah, three. <laughs> How about that? Just a hat trick today. I've got Milan to win the Scudetto as well. Looking for them to get off to a good start. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Ha! 
tougher, no funnier. I do not make jokes, I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!